welcome to episode number 75, Arguing While Agreeing. Stay tuned at the very end of this episode where Luke and I share about our March 8th meetup. Gonna be awesome. Dude, man, can I tell you, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. This is something that's been interesting, and I know that we talk about this and, and talk around it a lot, but so when I get to do parish missions, which is my favorite thing in the world to do, usually I do this parish mission called That One Thing. It's called That One Thing because I believe Catholics do not know how to repent, okay? Do you know how to repent, Luke? Yeah, you go to a confession, you go, I did this, this, and this, and I you know, don't want to do these things. I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn around. Every now and then? going to make a change. So I, I have no changes. <laughs> Misplaced hate makes us grace for races we under. Uh huh. But the the notion now of you is dead. Oh, I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, this. So I have a line. No, seriously though, <laughs> I have a line that I say. I'll kill you in your sleep. Um, the line that I. I'll go do another podcast with, with with some guy that you barely know. Barely know. <laughs> he lives right behind me. He's standing. No, I barely. Me. know. Oh, that you barely know. Angry Catholic. Um. But uh no oh, bullshit. What is this? Okay, so I do this I do this parish mission uh called That One Thing. And the title track is the second night. The second night's called That One Thing. The first night um is called da- I, I have different titles, but I've settled with Dad Isn't Disappointed. And then the second one is that one thing, and then the third one is kind of like going from here, or whatever. But um so I believe, I believe, like, you know, we talk about the kerygma, preach the kerygma, and usually they go to what's called the four laws. God loves you, sin destroys your relationship with God. Jesus repaired that relationship and have faith in Jesus and you'll go to heaven, all that good stuff. So, um, Otherwise known as Protestantism, go on. Yeah, well, it's the four laws, which was, a, I think it was a Baptist thing used in mostly the 50s and 60s, I believe, but it's still around and everyone frames it around that. But so what I've learned about the kerygma, and I got this from Sherry Waddell's book, and no, I'm not doing instruction. I actually do have a discussion point here. Uh, <laughs> I, I what I learned from uh, self-censorship uh, from Sherry <laughs> Waddell's book is I, I, I would talk about God's love a lot, but I never brought up repentance. And I honestly, for the longest time, didn't really know how to repent. And so mm-hmm. I started like really thinking about it and trying to come up with ways to teach Catholics, you know, to, to develop a hook in order to help them repent. And so I have a phrase. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Father Michael Schmitz hasn't, hasn't used this phrase yet, and I don't think he buys into it 100% because I said it to him one time, and he goes, huh, and then just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> the first phrase that I said that he liked was, as Catholics, often we were never really taught how to pray. We, we were only taught how to repeat. He's used that in his sermons that are recorded, and it made me fancy. But um, the other phrase that I use is, as Catholics, we were never really taught how to repent, only how to go to confession. And, you know, when a Protestant says to us, why do you need to go to a man? I go right to God. And I say, you know, what do we, we, we give the apologetic answers, pull out some scripture. We say things like, well, go into the man. This is the same thing as going to God because God gave him the authority, blah, blah, blah. But what I realized was, holy crap, I never repent to God. <laughs> like, like I, I'm sorry for these sins. I don't want to commit them in a general, vague sense. I end up committing them immediately because it's a general and vague, I don't want to. And then I go to confession, I go through the list, I say my sins, and then I move on. I treat confession like a drive through car wash. I go through, I do the thing, I pay my dues, I go through, and then I'm clean on the other side, but I, I drive right down the same muddy roads. Um, and so uh, what I've been doing, and so I do this parish mission, but this is the point I wanted to get at. 
So on the second day, so the whole first day is preaching God is love. You can give your life to God. You can trust him. You can do all this stuff. And I go through reasons why people wouldn't trust God or don't love God and don't know that God loves them. So the whole second night is open, and I dive into sin, right? And I dive into it in a crazy, I think it's in an intense way. I don't think it's watered down at all. Um, But I get to the repentance, and I have them say, what is that one thing that if you could push a magical button and it would disappear right now with zero consequences, it would just be out of your life forever, you would push it, right? And then I have them write it down on an index card and put it in a collection basket in front of the uh, Blessed Sacrament that's exposed, right? So we do exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, sing some songs, I invite them to slowly come forward, and then everyone rushes forward. Um, And then they write down this thing, don't put their name on it, put it in a basket, and then I tell them, I'm going to read it, I'm going to read every single one of them that night, and then I'm going to come up with the next night's talk based on what I read. So it is the closest thing I will ever come to hearing confessions if I don't ever become a priest, right? And Luke, it is torture to do this. Mm-hmm. It is torture to open up card after card and look at, you know, pornography addiction, adultery, 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 um, cheated on my wife with her sister, uh, you know, stabbed my best friend in the back. Um, all of these sins that are the, I mean, you, if you think about it the way I crafted it, a lot of these people don't confess these sins if they ever go to confession. And they have the courage to write it down on a piece of paper and put it in a basket. And so I'm reading literally the worst about their life. Multiple, every, every church I've ever been to, suburban, urban, um, more rural, whatever, abortion is mentioned at least three or four uh, times. Just devastating stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've discovered that no one has ever mentioned one sin that hasn't been mentioned at least twice by other people, that, like a category of sin. Like mm-hmm. gluttony, I've never heard people talk about gluttony. I always encounter people writing gluttony as one of my sins, right? And, uh, and the thing that I always steer them to is not like, well, here's how to avoid getting an abortion next time, or here's how to avoid gluttony. I talk about, I bring up their sins, I say them out loud, and then I say, you're not alone. Like, you're, you're not alone in this. And most people, after that moment, experience, like, profound freedom. Because most people think they really are. I mean, you hear this all the time, but they really do think they're alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All it takes is someone talking about their brokenness. I mean, it really does, in a, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You're not listening. Mm-hmm. You're not listening. No, I, I'm thinking. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just still angry that you're going to do a podcast without me. No, it's cool. Um, Flight time with Joey and Gomez. <laughs> no, actually, I think that that's great. Uh, just as long as this remains the flagship. But no, seriously, I am just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it, 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 it kind of um, – it's interesting because I think we all tend to view ourselves – as um, we, we actually we tend to view Chris, Christianity as a belief system as opposed to this actual tangible reality that's much bigger than ourselves. And I think what tends to happen is like because we view it as a belief and just that we isolate ourselves because it's just it, it becomes a thing that we 
uh, we uh, that we agree with, not an experience that we have. There's no sense of uh, transcendence. So, to me, that kind of just again like speaks to just how, like how like how we live our lives as Catholics or as Christians in our postmodern age is so isolating and it's like really hell on earth. And one of the whole points is that like Christ breaks through that isolation and like brings us into a, into a communion with, with him and through him others. But because we have this idea that it's just this thing that I, you know, acknowledge to be true we don't we don't really let him in or let others in, and so we're just kind of stuck there, acknowledging this thing to be true, but not really ever experiencing it. I would say along those lines, one of the biggest problems is we abstract Christ and Christianity. Like even when those beliefs are like p- concrete, plain in your face beliefs, mm-hmm. we still abstract them. We still take them away from the realm of like my life and it's just an intellectual thing it's an idea right the the ideation of christianity i think is one of the most dangerous things because the things that we believe are meant to lead us to not just do things right you got belief here you got behavior here that's all christianity is now that's handy if you're catechizing people but that's not handy if i mean the pope benedict said it the best he said we need to return to teaching christianity and christian morality as the art of life or the art of living Right, mm-hmm. that it, it, it takes this virtue, this artistic series of excellences and whatnot, to live it out. And one of the things I've found is that when you when you reduce it to just a belief system, and you talk about you know it's true or false, that's the only way that you can engage with people. And, and that's where I, f- I feel like that's where it becomes isolating in one sense from people who don't share those beliefs is because it's like you either believe this or you don't, and you're done. I can dismiss you. My orthodoxy, my orthodoxy mm-hmm. is like that standard. And oh, I am convinced. Sorry, go on. There's a whole, there's a whole other tangent. Sorry. Well, my whole thing Keep is going. right. So if if my orthodoxy is the standard of how we relate to one another, right, and it's only relegated to the realm of truth and not to love, then what ends up happening is the the lack of gradation of of grays of the gradients. The lack of that makes us polarize even more and then but when you when you realize that it's a way of being in the world that it's not just some abstraction but that jesus was incarnate and i need to incarnate my faith i need to incarnate like my beliefs that aren't incarnated aren't really christian beliefs they might be the transcendental beliefs of emmanuel kant or henry david thoreau or something like that but these have to go from these ideals to the real it can't be platonic here yeah, they have to be made concrete. They have to be made incarnational. And so, like, for instance, one of the things, and this is, I think, how we tie right to isolation, is because I feel like in my bones, when we teach things like the Good Samaritan, you know, and Jesus is saying, he, tell, he makes up the story of the Good Samaritan to hammer in, like, who is my neighbor, right? Um, we today have been like, oh, so it's not just my fellow co-religionists. It's everyone is potentially my neighbor. I, and there's a book called The Art of Neighboring where the guy says, when, 
we make our neighbor a metaphorical neighbor, then we end up having a metaphorical love for him, right? So it's like we don't mm-hmm. actually care about our actual neighbor. We don't actually love our actual neighbor. We pat ourselves on the back for having a metaphorical love for a metaphorical neighbor, right? And I think that's one of the problems with these beliefs is, like, I can believe in the story of the Good Samaritan and the lesson that it teaches, but until I incarnate that story, then what the heck is the point? Like, how can I say this is who I am? I'm a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I – um. Yeah, I agree. What were you going to say? You know, you had the thought. Well, I just think that it's very, okay, so, well, yeah. Uh, It's very tempting to think that all we have to do is trade our, you know, post-Vatican II, a progressive hat for an orthodox hat, and and then we are good. And we make it about culture and... Um, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's it's just absurd, as opposed to holiness. And we just think we, all we got to do is just do you know, A B. Let's do, a, a, like, A B. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just want to make sure that like this actually that it makes sense because because I think like what you are talking about is holiness. You know that that it is it is a love of. Christ that is so intense that we can't help but go out to others and to like really incarnate that, like bring him to people in real con concrete ways. And that can only come from, um, from, uh, a communion with, with Christ that begins with a relationship with him. And you just can't, you can't manufacture that. And I and I just think that we're so. I mean, just at least in the world that I'm in, it is so tempting just to say, let's just like, how do we solve this problem? And I just keep going back to this idea of like the problem's been solved. Like Christ is going to reconcile all things unto Himself. I don't mean that like everyone's going to be saved. I think hell is a reality, but it's like, what's like, what's the real problem that you are trying? to solve here do you want to be comfortable or do you want uh, to love others do you want people to uh, to uh, uh, to agree with with you or do you want to see christ in others and be christ to others and have people be christ to you uh, but no one wants to do that everyone just wants to buy their books and have their books bought and just you know everyone their little uh, bubbles and, and have their fifteen-minute community group DVD videos. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, but you know what I mean, though. Luke, like, Luke, Luke. Me and you sometimes when we talk, I feel like we because we we really do have a point to say, but we just get in. It's like you know what I really think, bro. It's like whoa, you know. And, but I have found myself, much to my chagrin, quoting you more than I quote me when we get into these conversations. <laughs> I literally, sometimes I find myself writing like a bulletin post for the my church bulletin, and I'll write mm-hmm. as the, and I'll put your job title, Luke, <laughs> and your last name. I'll say, as he once stated, <laughs> as if you're like this authoritative reference instead of a jackass. But, uh, well, here's, um, okay, so here's a, here's a great example. I don't fucking understand why people want to do SWOT analysis and not apply Ignatian's rules of a discernment. Like, I just sit there and I'm like, are you joking? 
So you don't like, think SWOT analysis is, incarn- is good no. at all? No, I think it has no place in ministry at all. Zero. Because it in because it inherently makes it about you. Because what might work in a SWOT analysis might not be what Christ is calling you to. But isn't a SWOT analysis just looking at the world around you and the situation around you? No, I strengths, okay. weaknesses, opportunities, yes, uh, uh, opportunities and, and threats. Yeah, you should all write like, like okay. So like those are all good things to do or to, or to be aware of. But to but to do a SWOT analysis to make any of your um any of your decisions based off of that based off of a SWOT analysis is absurd because that's not that might not be what the holy spirit's calling you so like yeah like should you be aware of what's of what's going on yeah of course is is that a way to like uh, to do that i guess or you could just engage with people and just be aware well okay so engage with people and be aware I would argue that is a form of SWOT analysis, right? Because you're looking at when you're engaging with people, when you're doing a SWOT analysis, which is funny because we brought this up before on the show and I had no idea what it stood for. And John made fun of us for not being business people. Um, I knew what it meant. I just couldn't. Right, 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 right. right. But uh, then I attended this big evangelization event and that was literally how the whole thing started. And I was like, oh, no. And it was so funny because. What you had was a whole bunch of people who engage in honest evangelization, not people who put people in programs, none of that stuff. People who are one-to-one, face-to-face evangelists, people who do um, you know, college ministry, people who – just all, all over the place, priests, religious, all this stuff. And one of the things was – it says, what is the, the – the question was facing the American church today within the context of evangelizing adults – what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses that we have in our respective areas, right? So you're, you're not coming up with the flawless picture, but you're kind of stitching together what's going on in America since there's a lot more, in one sense, there's a, because of technology and media consumption, there's a lot more homogeneity around our culture, right? Cultures bleed into one another, appropriated mm-hmm. by others. And so, you know, everyone wears blue jeans. Famously, that was a Vatican II statement. But um, this uh, this notion that, like, if 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 I mean we do this all the time. What or what are the weaknesses of the parish life? Well, I don't know about every parish in the world, but I know my parish, and I've been to a bunch of parishes, and I can see trends and things. And if we don't think about them, look at them, talk about them, if we don't look at them with like the eyes of like discernment, you know, you can use all that Ignatian good stuff. But like for instance, if I see a lack of discipleship, but instead people are doing nothing but program after program after program, that to me is a weakness. It's not a strength that people have a ton of education. Because of my awareness of discipleship, I can say, oh, these people, that's actually a failure that they have so many people years after year after year after year in the same class or whatever. But here's so there's this quote. It's I heard it as a Attributed to John Paul II as it relates to as it relates to theology of the body, but I think it applies to to even uh, to evangelization as well. And it's that when there is a lack of intimacy, there's an overemphasis on a technique. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, uh, I mean, honestly, I think Jason Everett 
<laughs> That's the first person I ever sure. heard say that. So maybe it was theology of the body. So, um, and I like, so I agree. Like, no, no, no. And I 100% agree with you. I, I do. I 100% agree that we can, instead of, instead of honestly assessing your situation, right. That, that you're responsible for, like you right now work in, you may or may not work in a Catholic environment. You have to understand what is going on in the culture no, around agree, it, and in you the, know how, yeah. Sorry, but like how how I how I don't do that by doing a SWOT analysis. I do it by being engaged. And the most important thing any of us can do is to have a strong in. Sorry, like uh, this is this is this is obviously not about you. <laughs> um, no, I'm fine. To you have a strong. And to have a strong is to be the best Catholic that we can be. That is by far the best thing that any of us can do. And all of our conferences, all of the programs that we do, all the books that like every that everyone will write will mean jack shit if we are not holy. It will not mean anything. And I just think that when there's such a portal, like let's just like analyze, you know, all 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 of these. And like it's good to like talk. And dis and discuss, but if that's not coming from a from from an overflow of your of your own of your own like relationship with with God, it is not going to go anywhere. Well, I will say this to challenge you because Saint Teresa of Avila talks about in terms of like your spiritual director, if you have a choice between a holy person and a wise person, get the wise person, right? Because the holy person might not know how to articulate it. The holy person might not understand, even though they're close to God and they have a connaturality with God because they're walking in grace and all that stuff, that doesn't mean that the, the, the holy person is always correct. The problem becomes when we think we can shortcut holiness and, and sanctification and salvation by coming up with a clever strategy. Now, if I'm sitting down with a budget that other people, men and women, have worked hard and donated their money to that now I'm sitting on top of and, and I get to literally like a Scrooge McDuck vault and I get to divvy out where <laughs> that money goes, I had better apply more rational thought to it than, you know, I really feel, because I've been praying a lot, I really feel like, you know, I have to, I have, to have thought to it. Truth claims have to back up what I'm doing because prudence is a thing. Strategy is a thing, oh, yeah. and I'm, I'm saying though that doing something like a SWOT analysis can be viewed through a wrong lens—the wrong lens of well, we're going to identify these things apart from discipleship, apart from evangelization—and it leads us to buy a program. It leads us to oh, we're going to address these needs instead of this is where we need to pray. This is where Christ is, uh, the Holy Spirit's leading us. This is—I think—a SWOT analysis is. It helps you arrive at truth so that you can be prudent about what you're doing. But if it, beca- See, if it replaces a lot of that stuff, like you can say all you want, like I'm going to be holy and I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to do all this stuff. And you will, you will lead people to holiness. You will lead people to Christ, right? But if, when you're sitting on top of other people's money, you can't just blindly do it. See, that's what Mother Teresa did that got her in trouble. She just like, oh, I have all this money and I don't need it. I'll just give it away. And then you have that jackass BBC reporter, Christopher Hitchens, with his documentary being like, she lost millions of dollars. It's because in the beginning, she didn't have people that could help her manage this stuff. So then it became a ding against her. Now, I ultimately don't think it is, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's, there is wisdom here that we can't ignore. 
and wisdom is a part of holiness, but it's also like I think truth can stand on its own two feet here. I don't know. Okay, so I have a whole bunch of thoughts, but really first, will um, will I read the quote that I just sent to you from John from John Paul II? There is a temptation which perennially besets every spiritual journey and pastoral work, that of thinking that results depend on our ability to act and plan. God, of course, asks us really to cooperate with his grace and therefore invites us to invest all our resources of intelligence and energy in serving the cause of the kingdom. But it is fatal to forget that, quote, without Christ we can do nothing, quote. It is prayer which roots us in this truth. It constantly reminds us of the primacy of Christ and, in union with him, the primacy of the interior life and of holiness. When this principle is not respected, it is, any one, is it any wonder that pastoral plans come to nothing and leave us with a disheartening sense of frustration? We then share the experience of the disciples in the gospel story, the miraculous catch of fish. We have toiled all night and caught nothing, Luke 5.5. 5. This is the moment of faith, of prayer, of conversion with God. In order to open our hearts to the tide of grace and allow the word of Christ to pass through us in all its power. Duke et altum. On that occasion, it was Peter who spoke the word of faith. At your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, so that is why our American church sucks right, right now. 100% agree. Every, like, why do you, sorry, okay, why does it everyone, why does no one like going to their diocese? Why does no one like going to the, the chancery? Because of that. Because it is a mess of bureaucratic red tape for people who don't do ministry. You tell people who are on the front lines of ministry how to do ministry even though they don't even do ministry and they're not in contact with people. It's because of that. Yeah, because of that right there. Because yeah. there's such an, and, and so, okay, so. I probably overstated when I said that if like doing a SWOT analysis is dumb, but here's like here's my whole issue. Like, yes, obviously, like if you're growing in holiness, you need to be prudent. You need to be able uh, to listen to know how to be a good steward. Absolutely, you can. I've been around too many schools where they've been run into the ground because of because of that reason. I would also I, but like what I would add though is you cannot depend upon the SWOT analysis to determine what you're going to do, right? Because right, right, right. you know, and or to, like, because that might like it's it's good if if, if that's how you want to be like aware of what's going on. That's okay. That's awesome. That's that that is completely fine. But to base a, I think it's wrong to base a decision off of that right it can yeah. it can help in it can help in um it can help inform your uh, decision but like if okay so this is why i do not like uh, i believe it's ncym right the the, the national something the national catholic oh, oh, oh. ministry Yes, because it's just all about stats and what does the research uh, tell us? Like, who cares? We we all know. We all know what the research is, that people are, are leaving, that people don't, that they really don't believe anymore. Why are we basing our, if God, if the God who created everything is behind us, 
why aren't we doing what he what you know he wants us to do? Why do why are why are we going with what some paper says? Why is that our basis for everything? Why does that why does that have power? Like ultimately, I think it's because these people don't believe in Jesus. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna be very blunt. I don't think they really believe in that he is God, or that he's that personal, or that real transcendence is actually possible. And that's why everything in our church sucks. Ah, I felt so good to say that. Catharsis. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I, I, I don't like. I'm just so like tired of. Like, here's our new pastoral plan. I'm just like, what? Why? It's our five-year plan. Thanks, Stalin. High five. Like, I mean, like, yeah. Can I I tell you? Okay, so right along that vein, I was at a church when they were doing a five-year plan. And I came in right in the very beginning stages, but they had already decided to have the five-year plan, and they had met for like a week before I showed up. And then we have this all-staff thing, and we're talking about the five-year plan. And I said... Uh, so what are we basing the five-year plan on? Oh, we're doing all this research in our community about what people need, where people are in their faith, their lack of understanding, you know, like what, where they want to be. And I said, okay, um, what if what if the demographics shift in two years? Then what happens to our, our five-year plan? And they were like, well, you know, like we're just looking, we're getting these general kind of understandings of what's going on uh, so that we can make more informed decisions. And I was like, okay, that's great, that's great. And I said, uh, so these surveys, like, have people been praying over, like, what are the right questions with it? Well, we, we hired a firm uh, out of Chicago, and, you know, we, we pay good money, and they, they know what they're doing. I said, okay, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So then I come back, and everyone's already making decisions based on these things. And, I, and one of the things is we need to be more welcoming, so we're going to launch a welcoming committee. And uh, we're going to want, excuse me, a, a welcoming ministry. And I said, uh, I raised my hand. I said, I don't, I don't want to cause any trouble. And I said, but what if we are doing this backwards? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, what if we don't need to do a welcoming ministry? Because having eight people be welcoming and 3,000 people be jerks isn't really going to do anything. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. well, what do you mean? I said, well, what if, and this is, the, this is the statement that I said that I think resonates with your point. I said, I feel like what we're doing is we're going to start an institution and then we're going to beg the Holy Spirit to show up and bless it. When in fact, I think what we should be doing is begging the Holy Spirit to show us where he already is, and then we go there and build the institution around that. So if the Holy Spirit isn't hanging out in a, you know, if our clever decision is let's build a welcoming ministry, and uh, it, it's funny because right now our church is building, my church I'm at now, we're building this hospitality ministry, but it's it's the fruit of like, of like years of prayer and and this we have we have we have a man who is in charge of it who literally says I can't help but love people and all I want to do is go and I I look out my front window to the office building and I see someone getting out of their car and I immediately run out there and I help them with their stuff <laughs> you're like 
Okay, <laughs> that's not ever what I do. And then he's and he's in charge of it. And he, the reason why he's in charge of it is because that's what he's like. He wants people. He's like, I just want everyone to experience the love of Christ the moment they step on board this or step on this campus as a fast or rewind to the other church. Their whole thing was, well, let's create an institution. Let's create an institution. Let's create an institution. Let's do this. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that's kind of like the, the ass-backward approach. Like, well, we're, we, we found a problem. We're going to immediately create in our humanness a solution. And God could be like, guys, the problem isn't a lack of a welcoming ministry. The problem is you're all serial adulterers, and no one wants to talk to each other, right? Or, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, what's... In your okay, so you can only answer this with one word, and then I will say what my <laughs> word is. It'll be a game. <laughs> What's the one word that you should not ever, that you should not ever like, ever, that you should not ever like use when talking about your own, your own like ministry? The one word I shouldn't use mm-hmm. when talking about my own ministry. Mm-hmm. Is it, I don't know, failure? I would say, oh, sorry, that was more than one word, Gormley. Uh, failure. <laughs> success. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, go on. Yeah, because I mean, uh, this kind of harks back to the to that uh, one podcast we did that um, – and that you know, talked that was part of an episode of uh, Catholic stuff. You, I should know. Like, it's about the fruit. Christ ends his public ministry dead and alone. So, if we're supposed to be like him, that word to me, and like I would agree with you. Like, I, I think we're, we're we are talking about the same thing. Like, it's not about earthly results. It's about the fruit. Now you do. Now I do want to add one th- one thing. You have to be able to say, like, "Hey, like this is why we're gonna." I, th- I think like impact is a really great word uh, to use, you know, and other things like that. So like you do have to show like, "Hey, this is what we're doing with all of the money that's being given." You know, we just raised a hundred. Uh, I should not. I did that. Will kind of hint at where I am. I may or. I may or I may not be part of a group that just raised uh, like a lot of money, like over a hundred, like over a hundred million. And they've got to be able to go to the people who gave them that money and said, here's the great stuff that we are doing right now. Here's all these cool things that are happening because you gave a crap load of money and are this great stuff is happening, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it is a, um, it doesn't mean that it is a success. And I think we're so addicted to that word because we just want to consume everything that we possibly can, that it's got to add value. It's just got to be great. You have to, like, I'm going to talk about return on investment. If you hear the word return on in, a, in any type of like ministry, if that, if ROI is brought up, run, just walk away because it is so stupid. <laughs> it just oh, it just drives me nuts. Can I su- just, can I summarize your last point real quick? Oh yeah, for our, for our audience, for those of you just tuning in, Luke Carey said, "Oh, this guy named Luke said, if ROI is brought up, R U N." 
You, I know, but like, I should I mean, be. No, no. This is why well, you gotta give me a chance to respond. Oh, it's sorry, discussion sorry, sorry. over. I thought you did. I thought you did. No, <laughs> I was gonna ask you a question. Go on. No, no, no. So what I was gonna say, okay. Uh, I, 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 I want to. I wrote it on my dry erase board as we're talking. Christ ended his ministry dead and alone. Okay, now that's not true. His ministry didn't end with his death on the cross. His, I said ended, his public ministry. Okay, okay. But what he did was from his death and resurrection, he created the church. And his resurrection was seen by hundreds of his disciples. And they went out, and after the power of the Holy Spirit, and you need the Holy Spirit, this is the problem. Uh, when you said they're not really Christian, I was, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'd say that. But I will, like functionally, you know, not Christian. I will say that if Christ becomes an abstraction, then all we have is our, is our business plans, our agenda items, our own strategies, right? Because an abstraction cannot save you. An abstraction cannot inspire movements and stir hearts. Only we can, right? So if we've reduced Christ to an abstraction, the church to a, a belief system, then yeah, this, this isolates us yet again, but it, it reduces, it puts it all on us. The onus is on us and not God moving in the world. That's why I think that JP2 quote is so important. We toiled all night and caught nothing, right? We toiled all night and caught nothing. On our own, we toiled all night and caught nothing, but with you, we catch so much that our boats begin to sink. But well, I, here's what I mean. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, the apostles' ministry bore fruit. And Jesus says, you will bear fruit a hundred, you know, 60, 80, 100 fold, right? He promises that faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. Now, maybe we don't ever see that fruit, right? But that is a part. Fruitfulness is actually commanded if you don't bear fruit. And I think you can interpret fruit in two ways interior holiness as well as exterior growing of the kingdom of God. And I don't think you can separate it because I don't think the scriptures separate it. For the church, what's the, not what Christ's role is. Christ has a role that's not the same thing as the church. The church is not Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, but the church is not the same thing as Christ. Okay. I was, I see, mm, I see what you're saying. Uh, damn it. But do you agree with me? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. So the, but if you go back to the earlier part of that John Paul II quote, what does he what does he point towards is the interior the interior life. And without that, you are not going to bear any fruit. And that the church right now, this is why this is why I'll make this claim that I think so many of our leaders, I'm gonna say more of our lay leaders, are full are just full of it. They're just cultural Catholics because like all we have is plans, and with and when there's an, again go back to that quote where there is where we you know have a lack of where there is a lack of intimacy, there's an overemphasis on tech on technique, and I, and that's what I just see coming out of so much stuff is here's how to do this yeah hundred here's all the techniques hundred percent agree and I, and I'm just and so like that's like I'm like I don't have to like I will I would I will glad if like. I will gladly, I, I would love to lose my job if I can't talk about this. Because it, it, is, it is killing the church right, right, right now. It is killing it. And, um, 
And I mean, and so like I would agree that like yeah, like there there has to be some some sort of concrete, tangible thing that we can point to and say this is the good stuff that's happening. This is the fruit that is being born. Here's what's here's what's being what's be like multiplied. But so often, I think we don't really understand what that should look like. Like we don't identify what does it mean uh, to win. Let's just kind of put it in like Ooh, you know yeah. in business terms. What does it mean uh, to win? It's like what does fruit actually look like? Um, we have to have those conversations because to me that does not mean that you that you should have a ministry that just blows up overnight. It could that that could be good good uh, good fruit, but it doesn't necessarily mean you know that like. And there are things that. Um, like there are things that some people think are extremely good that I, there's that there's a part of me that's like I don't know if that's actually the best thing in the world. Like, what are like are we making this too complicated? Are we you know? And so, I I agree with you on that. Like, but I do think that we like we don't know what we're talking. I mean, we don't have a an, an agreed upon idea of what good fruit is. You know, Sherry Waddell in her landmark book, Forming Intentional Disciples, that I reference at least six times a day, she talks about this exact thing where she's interviewing all these people, and it's like, what's your relationship with God like? And they're like, I don't have one. And they're like, you run a whole diocese, or you run the largest Catholic apostolate in the country. What do you mean mm-hmm. you don't have one? Right? Or you run a Catholic school, or you, you run, Yeah. You're a, you're a sister. You're a priest. Yeah. You're a whatever. Like, I mean, I've heard, I've heard priests mock the notion of a personal relationship with Christ. Yeah, you've said that before. You've said that before. It pissed. Oh, I just wanted to. Mm. And it. I mean, like, I I would even kind of say like I, I'm so. And like, this is just part of again. This is me just being really annoyed with everyone. Um, just like I'm tired of all of the buzzwords, and it just. I'm like, what, what, what do we mean? What, what are we talking about? That's what, it, at that meeting where we did the SWOT analysis, it was just a small part of it. But um, someone said the, the most important thing about Sherry Waddell's book is that it gave us a language that we can finally rally around, this language of discipleship, evangelization, catechesis, all of it kind of understood now. And she said, but the problem is and now people are reducing it to buzzwords. Um, agree. I agree. I, I can't stand hearing that word anymore, int- forming intentional disciples. I, I like, I hear it and I groan. Well, there are the, two well, things yeah, that I groan I, at. That and the nuns joke. Let's just stop doing the nuns joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing that's important about, like, the whole reason why she put the word intentional is because everyone was just assuming because you're a Catholic, you're a disciple or whatever, right? That's just assumed. And she's like, no, 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 no. It is impossible to be a disciple without being intentional about it, right? But And that means the interior mm-hmm. conversion. That means not just you're good at your job. And there's one thing I really loved about Rick Warren's book, um, uh, Purpose Driven Church, which Bishop Barron talked about on his last episode of the Word on Fire show. But there's this part where he says, are we being effective or are we being efficient? And he talks about how many people, many churches are no longer being led by the Spirit of God. Instead, they're being led by business principles. 
and a consumer mentality, and he drives down. Many churches are able to grab people because they're the new hotness, right? He says, that's not church growth, that's swelling. You know, when people, I think when Catholics who maybe they don't know anything about Rick Warren, they tend to think of him as, you know, this typical mega pastor, mega church, you know, whatever. But this guy, like, anguishes over all of this stuff. Deep prayer life, mm-hmm. all this stuff. But he talks about if most churches, and, and he's talking about in the evangelical world, praise efficiency, right? Look at this, you know, your, your ROI, your bang for your buck. And they don't worry about effectiveness. Effectiveness is true conversion of an individual. Efficiency mm-hmm. is we spent $100, we got $200 worth of off-brand Coca-Cola, and you know we had a successful youth event that no one got hurt. But no one came to Christ. No one's life was changed. Nothing good happened. No friendships were built up. No community. Yeah, whatever. The kids had fun, and then only three people had sex that night on the. I, I don't know if you. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, a high school like dance. That used to happen all the time when I was in high school, and uh, or a junior high dance. And you would be like, "So say when you were in high school." No, 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 no. Junior high, junior high, junior high. But then you'd be like, "There's used condoms in the bathroom for an eighth grade dance. Like, what the hell is happening?" Now I say this. I say this, and I want to throw in one more quote. We have a listener named Anthony, Anthony G. I don't know if he wants me to use his last name, but he has asked me a couple times to talk about a book called um, A Secular Age, and uh, mm-hmm. we, haven't, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but he makes this really great point where he talks about how there are people using modern techniques of self-help therapy, combine them with business techniques, and they mash them together into the Christian faith today. And when I start to pay attention to this stuff, to me, so I'm, I'm going to fly up to a, a city called Cincinnati in May, and I'm going to go to a conference run by one of my favorite pastors. But one of my, me, I need to buy, buy my ticket for that. Go on. One of my favorite pastors also is a business guy. I listen to his podcast. I'm Andy Stanley. Amazing stuff. And this conference, Catalyst, is more, it's about leadership and all this stuff. And my fear is as we turn more towards these systems, we can replace the spirit with systems, right? Whether that's a belief system that abstracts Christ or whether that's literally instead of, uh, you know, spirit-moved behavior, we replace it with a business principle, right? You know, or whatever, right? Business, Peter Drucker and management and stuff like that, which is kind of funny because mm-hmm. Drucker, the father of modern management, was a parishioner at Rick Warren's church. Um, also, I say that he would agree with all the stuff we talked about on strategy. Go on. Drucker would? Mm-hmm. Oh. He's he got the quote where he says, culture beats culture beats strategy every every time. Yeah. Which I think kind of just points towards the idea of, within the prayer life, like, what's your interior life? But anyways, go on. Yeah, no, so my problem is when you start combining these self-help and, and, and business practices, you soften them for the church. But that doesn't mean then you're doing church, right? That just means you're doing a nonprofit that talks about Jesus a lot. And my fear, you know, in, in looking at all of this stuff that we've talked about. Now, uh, I, you know, I, I do measure. So when I do small groups, I measure how many people are in small groups. And I measure that for a handful of reasons, right? Nothing, nothing improves if it's not measured. We need to have some understanding of what is happening in it. But when I look at small groups, I look at measurements like this. Um, number one, I have to look at how many groups do we have because I'm in charge of them, right? And, and, yes, I do feel successful if there's more groups this year than there were last year, right? And that's how we measure a successful ministry. But I have learned that one of the greatest barometers for a successful group is a group 
that maybe they don't even use your plan, you know, like my carefully crafted mm-hmm. discussion questions, or maybe they don't get through it. But uh, so one of the questions I ask our host um, periodically is, how long do people on average spend after the hour and a half or two hours of community groups are over with people wanting to stay together? Like, oh, you know, we talked till 11 o'clock at night and it's so stupid because we all had to get up early for work, but we kept doing that. To me, that's, that shows healthy a healthy mm-hmm. group, groups that are standing and they want to be together. Whereas if I were just to look at, you know, how many questions did you go through? How, what's your attendance like? That is a metric that I need to pay attention to because I do have, uh, you know, I do have people that I'm accountable for. But in terms of conversion, those are the stories that I'm looking for. But, yeah, I would just say, like, part of the problem, well, okay, two quick thoughts on that. One I would add is that I think that, one, how... I use metrics with what I do is I tend to look at them horizontally as opposed uh, to vertically. So I don't care about how many people are at an event per se. I mean, like, like I do, like I, I'm always so tend to go, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, please, please like show up. Um, but it's more about, so we had 300 people at this, you know, event that's more about the encounter stage with God or about, you know, yeah. like, it, um, like first event, uh, like when you're really kind of diving into the faith, how can we, you know, how many of these people can we bring into this missionary, a discipleship thing that we're trying to do, you know, so that, that'll help in, that'll help, that'll help like me know yeah. what I, what can I expect, only reasonably, you know, I mean, and now that, that's not all that I do, but it's, you know, it's a small piece of, of, um, uh, um, uh, um, of the puzzle. But two is that I, I do think it's a problem within the church. I think we should have to say, Hey, here's, here's what I'm doing. Here's, um, the good fruit that is happening because it's, but it's a problem that we have to like prove things. You know, I just, and, and, and it's just a part of our business, you know, it's a part of our, um, our consumerism and it's just there, you know, but I, I I just don't, I mean, it's going to take a long time for that to go away if, if ever, but I don't know if it's good. I think it comes from a good place. You know, I just don't, I'm just, I'm not too convinced that that's where we want to be. I don't know. See, I, yeah, I, I always go back and forth with all of this stuff because I want to be like, okay, I have 500 kids in my youth group and 300 of them stopped coming. What does that tell me about my youth group? I remember in life team training, Mark Hart's like, it could tell you two things. It could tell you you're a terrible teacher or it could tell you you're teaching all the right stuff and people are refusing to follow. Right, it it just because they left and there's that number that decreases mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing a bad job. It could be you're doing the right job, you're doing what you should be doing. But as you progress deeper and deeper, and, and they have this like sideways hourglass kind of thing, because as you start off the year, you know you do a big fun kickoff, you have a couple introductory things, you get to know people, but then you start to dive into the teaching, and as you dive into the teaching, people start falling off. And he said one interpretation of this is. People will stay around for the fun and games, but when you start talking to them about life change, conversion, Jesus, people are going to fall away. They don't care. That's not for them. Well, and and also, I I think with a lot, I'm so sorry that this is being really loud again. My refrigerator 
in the background. So sorry, everyone. Um, when we expect people to respond in a certain way or, or, or have to prove to people that we got these individuals to respond, that's, that goes against their own it it to me it's it's almost like a violation of their um of their personal freedom as human beings because to... then we're setting up almost we're almost tempted to manipulate because we exactly. have these standards that we need them these these benchmarks that they need to hit and that is wrong yeah yeah, yeah. you can the the you can like that is so fundamentally wrong like Christ said stuff knowing that he was going to leave almost everyone. Yeah. John 6. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is tough. You guys going to leave too? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean like, Christ pushed people away. Like, he deliberately mm-hmm. pushed people away. You know? I mean, like, when, in, in famously in Luke's Gospel, where he says, um, no one could be my disciple. He says, like, the crowds were following me. He said, no one could be my disciple unless you hate your father and mother, hate your wife and kids, hate even your own life. You know, no one can be, you know, and he just launched, it's like, wow, Jesus, you need to read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like, <laughs> like this is, no, 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 no. You want to soften the blow, keep it nice and easy. Yeah. Seek first to understand, then be understood, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> listen, 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 then speak. Um, but now, now, now here's the deal, though. Jesus is different than us, right? Like, I can't just imitate Jesus' method. Oh, no, you know? yeah. No. And, and, and you can't, like, you don't want to be the asshole who's like, I'm going to say what I want. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, that's just being a jerk. Right, right, right. And you see the apostles, I mean, over and over again, they do, they, they're very confrontational at parts. Paul tries to win people over, you know, he's in Athens, draws on their culture and their traditions, you know, the, the altar to an unknown God. He quotes their poets and whatnot. But, um... So I think you know what, like I, I, I'm, I'm gelling with what you're saying. I really am. I guess, I guess my fear is, and it is a fear. It's a fear that I'm not doing what I should be doing because it's not appearing to what what it should be. Right, right. So like, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm mm-hmm. preaching the gospel and I'm a really good preacher, teacher, speaker guy. And people want to come and hear me because, and, and I'm not watering down the message in any way, shape, or form. In fact, like the opening of the show, right? I'm, I'm preaching repentance, get rid of your sin. And if people find freedom of that and they share it with other people and more people find freedom, you would expect an explosion. You would expect at that day 3,000 were added to their number. Now, at the same time, I can tell you, in my own life, when I was stuck in the middle of habitual sin, I wasn't praying. I wasn't. I was not at all dedicating. I wasn't praying to people's guardian angels to help foster conversion. I wasn't going for the blessed sacrament. You know, asking for help in my talk planning. I wasn't um, doing any of the things that I do for the most part. I wasn't fasting. Right. Uh, I could give a really good talk, but it wouldn't be a godly talk. And there's a difference between being good at your job and being godly. And I realized a long way that the godly have a lot more power. They might not reach a huge amount of people, you know, like he combines humor with 
powerful teaching. How many damn resumes for speakers? <laughs> yeah. has this yeah. dynamic speaker combines humor with orthodoxy or whatever it is. And puppets. <laughs> Do you like spoons? Do you like it when spoons make noise like music? <laughs> Hire the Catholic spoon man. <laughs> Not going to lie. That's actually a flyer I've gotten. Um, through the fax no. machine. Through the fax machine. Attention, youth ministry. But so, okay, so here's my here's my point. How do we, when do we, so like in my parish setting, um, I cut a program because I felt like it was serving the same people over and over and over again. And then, and I wanted to make space for our Spanish faith formation ministry. We've never had totally. one. Exactly. We never had one. I wanted to have one. I felt like we were we were guilty of what in the book of Acts, right? We were neglecting the, the Hispanics for the sake of the Hebrews, right? We were neglecting our people for this, or, you know, the, the people that belong to our church, but because they spoke a different language, we neglected them. And so we doubled down, my whole leadership team rallied around it, and we built this great ministry, uh, excuse me, we got out of the way of some amazing people like Martha building this great ministry, and I got some pushback by someone, and this is what this person said to me. Uh, the last time I checked, Jesus said, feed my sheep. He never said, count my sheep. And by you cancel, canceling good people who are just there to follow Christ and learn more about their faith, by you canceling their group to make way for another group that's a bigger group, you like like you fundamentally got in the way of the Holy Spirit. That's basically what this person said to me, right? And I and I look up yeah. to this person. I think this person is a thousand percent wrong, a thousand percent wrong, because I believe that Jesus Christ cares more for the lost than he does for the people that are like rock salt. And cares more is a bit of a misnomer, but I believe that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. And in my church, we were just complaining about all oh, these people. They don't do this. They don't do that. Well, they didn't feel like it was their church. So when we actually built a ministry to reach out to them. The, the setup that we had, it was the perfect setup. And I can tell you, I don't worry about the people in that original Bible study. They're holy people. They're good people. But they're on repeats, man. They're on yeah, repeats. Like, one of the things that, I, I mean, you know, this is really, it's, it's really hard when you don't agree with people that are holy. And that happens. So then, like, so then you rely on the strategy sense. and a SWOT analysis. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, I, well, I mean, okay, okay, so, like, that is an example to me of, like, when you have to, like, go back to those things and go, okay, I only have $100, and I've got to feed X amount of people, what's the best thing to do here? And, like, obviously, you do want to use your own, your, your, your own, like, your um, own reason. Now, I think with a big choice like that, you take it to prayer as well. But one thing that I would, uh, that I would, um bring up to that to like that person is that I'm sure like your parish only can be open for X amount. There's only 24 hours in a day. You have X amount of people in your, you know, parish like your like parish like boundaries that we've got to, we have to allow others in. It's not, it's not all, it's not all, uh, it's not all about like you, but I would really encourage you to do this in your home. Oh, to do like oh, keep this you, going dude dude you know dude. like <laughs> that's exactly so in starting community groups my big realization is people don't pray at home people don't talk about jesus at home people can argue about church teaching at home 
with, especially with their relatives, but they don't tend to do the praying and all that stuff. So my big thing with community groups is part of my overall initiative to strengthen the Ecclesia Domestica, to build up the domestic church, right? And so one of the things that I said to this group, I said, listen, this is what you need to do. Break up into small groups. They, they already are in small groups. I said, break up into those groups and go and do the same program that you were planning on doing, but just do it from your house. So now instead of one mega group that meets of 50 people that then split up into five 10-person groups, just have those five 10-person groups and just share the resources and do it from your own. And you would have thought I murdered their dog in front of them, mm-hmm. right? How dare you tell me? I'm like, listen, you don't have to go to your home. Go to someone else's. There's so many people in your small group. You can totally do this. I mean, I literally had someone in – you know what? I don't need to go into all the details because I don't want to get fired. But I had, um, <laughs> I, I had a lot of complications from people who are, like I said, good people who disagreed with me, and you know everyone's welcome to disagree with me, but I have a mission, and that mission is what the church teaches, that the home is the primary center, and we have such a lack of community, such a um, you know Sunday-only Christianity, and these people aren't really guilty of that, but I just want to create a culture of people being in their homes, and I said, why, why can't you just study it in home? Like, what, what is wrong with that? And we had other people who decided there's these three women. Uh, they invited a, a young adult over who's a friend of mine. And they were like, we're just going to do this Bible study from our house. And they did. And it was like this huge, you know, these three, I, I believe they were three middle-aged women and uh, one young adult. And she knows them. She's really good friends with, with these women. But it was like a formation time. By going over to their house, you have a glass of wine, you watch the video, mm-hmm. you talk about it for two hours instead of, oh, well, you only have you know, 45 minutes to meet in your group. Well, they could talk about life and all this stuff. That that's what they were missing. That's what I was trying to get at. And, uh, you know, and when you when I have situations like that, I rely, my, my SWOT analysis is, uh, what's my mission? My mission gives me permission to say no to you. And so I'm going to say no. But, man, I got, I mean, I'm still dealing with the backlash today. Like, literally today. And so I, uh, and I do, I, I really do think the world of these people. I don't think they're bad people. I just don't want them meeting at my church at all. No, I mean, like, there have been times when I have disagreed with people that I, th- like, Father John Ignatius. Like, there have been oh. times where, like, he said stuff or, he, or he's made a decision where I'm like, I don't know if I would have agreed with that. But, like, it's not, like, I, I, I think at times, like, it's, when I talk about the importance of the in to your life and your, you know, and a person's and person's own ministry. It's not necessarily about the fact that everything they're going to do is going to be to be right. It's about their own witness. Okay. And that's the most powerful tool that we have. And also like, you know, like, okay, what is God calling me, calling me to do? But like the most important part we have is our, you know, own our like own witness. There have been times where I have where I've been like in a dead heat struggle, all out fight. Feels almost like a war with people's whose holiness inspire my own. Yeah, and that's just the reality of life because we do have free will. And there are times when I think God. This is a whole other thing that I would absolutely I'm love to talk about, but we, we don't have to do it now. But I do think God at times goes, just do what you guys think is best. Like, you have freedom. I don't think God, like, I don't think that he wills our life to be like, I want you to, you're supposed to turn left, not right. Like, you know, uh, I think he respects the free will that we have. And he respects the choices we have, that we have uh, to make. 
you know, so now not like those things can pull us to or away from God. But what if you have two things that are pulling you towards God? Ooh. It reminds me of our household brother who's in the special forces, who I believe his story was he was on a 30 day silent retreat discerning priesthood or marriage life. And he said that God clearly said, I want you to choose. Like, I'm not telling you one way or the other. I want you to choose. And that he spent yeah. he spent thirty days and literally it came down to that and he's like, okay, I choose marriage life and I'm gonna join the special forces. Booted, 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 booted. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I def, like I think that at times we can just we put too much of an emphasis on like what does the what does God want? I think God just wants us just to make a decision and <laughs> pull you know, the and trigger we're... for the love of me. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, I could give two shit. <laughs> Just kidding. I think he cares, obviously. Um, I think you're going to hell with that blasphemous remark. <laughs> what, was that bad? Did, did I go? Uh, did I go t- too far with that one? Pro- probably, probably. <laughs> but see, you, you know, this, this is where we can end because it's because it's late. Um, I just, I love that we're having this conversation because I don't think that it happens enough. Yeah. Where, like, we can just try to wrestle with, with like, this stuff and just really kind of, like, go at it for a bit. And just be like, what's... Let me ask you one more question. What's going Let on Let me here? ask you... Oh, sure, okay. yeah. It's fine. Listen, I will go all night long. We gotta go toe-to-toe, baby. No, um... Joey won't. <laughs> is that, is that a friend's joke? What is that? No, it was a, uh, the, the Joe guy, the angry Catholic... Oh, <laughs> flight, to, I'm, I'm flight time with Joey can only last for 15 minutes because um, that's how long a flight will be. Um, it's going to be an awesome. Be honest, it's more like two and a half. It's more like what? <laughs> it's more like uh, two and a half with without other wiggling. Go oh, on. Gosh. Hey, you got to be careful, man. He <laughs> runs Deacon Baldy's and we're going there for our live show. I know. I'm very excited about it. I know. I think it's really cool. Oh, and then I told I told our friend Greg, I said, hey, Greg, guess what? I'm going to do a new podcast. I told him the next day because I can't keep a secret. And uh, I always have to announce things right when I do them or come up with the idea of them. And, and Greg, goes, <laughs> Greg goes, dude, that was my idea for a podcast. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, we're going to have two drinks instead of a flight. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, you totally told me about that. And then in my defense, though. Joey's the one that came up with the idea. So, okay. So here's my question. Here's my question. Um, <laughs> uh, I talked about how I was glad that we could that we could answer these things. We could hash this out. Thought it was really good. Yeah. No. It was like it was. Oh, oh. I know what it was. I know what it was. So there's a lot of people in ministry. Like writing books is is a good thing. <coughs> oh my god. Sorry. I, oh, I'm so a, loud. I, I gotta get some water. Sorry. Okay. But here, here's my question. Right. Now I want. <coughs> Sorry. My throat tickles. <laughs> you said that like a child. My throat. I'm a cold. I'm a real boy. Um, my throat tickle. Damn it. What was I gonna say? Uh, okay. So writing books. So or creating resources and all that stuff with training and helping people. That's what I want to do. Like right now with my life. Like I want to help people. Um, it reminds me. I I had an I I had an idea, but. Okay, I like for instance, I want to write books like you know, like Matt Frad, right? He's writing this wonderful book mm-hmm. on pornography that's coming out. I believe it's called The Porn Myth. But he has, very you know, about yeah, that. it's very soon. He has Pints with Aquinas, a, sh- a short little booklet. Um, I don't know what you call it, but I, I booklet, whatever. 
Um, he has these a novella. Yeah, he has these great ideas. But you know, it's it's one of the things that you do is right. You sit down. And you're like, all right, I need to make a living doing this. So I want to mm-hmm. make money doing this. Mm-hmm. So I I want it to get into the most amount of hands as possible. But also, I need to make the most amount of money I can possibly make from it. Not in a greedy way, but like I know Catholic books sell like a hundredth what normal fiction, you know, normal like popular culture books do. So like when I say, oh, we have 20,000 downloads a month for our podcast, people are like, oh, that's good, you know. And I'm like, no, 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 for a Catholic podcast, that's huge, right? That, you know, no-name people like us. So um, so my whole thing is like, what do you think about, you know, the whole idea of like strategizing to make money and focusing on church stuff? And when does it become I'm I'm – not really answering what the Holy Spirit needs, but I'm, you know, just out for the Skrilla. Like, I would never think that I or Mephrat, like, I'm actually just out for the money. But I know, like, oh, like, sure. like right now, like, I have 112 talks for free on my parish website. Because I, or on my um, personal website. Because people don't know me. No one's going to hire me if you don't know me. I'm not Scott on. I don't have a reputation yet. yet. I don't have a <laughs> reputation like that. But it's, so yeah. I have to put stuff up for free so that they will hire me. You know, it's the freemium model. Um, but at the same time, I literally just want like I have a whole section of like nine talks on the kerygma because I just want people to learn how to give talks on the kerygma. But I could charge for that, right? And so I always go back and forth. Like you talk about that ROI. Like I need to charge money. You know, we all need money to live, but when does mm-hmm. it? When am I selling the gospel? I I, th- I think it's. Um, I mean, we talked about this a bit before when it was like it, you're more paying for your time or something because yeah. like we've talked a lot about like where do we where do we take this podcast? Where do we go from here? Is this a, is this a thing that we want to uh, keep doing? And if so, like because it's got to get to a point where if it does keep growing, where it's going to going to demand more time. How do we justify that to our wives and our kids and 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 on my dog, I, I think it, you really. This is why the interior life is so is so Im, important. Is you have to really go to Christ and go. Are you calling me to do this? And you just have to just like love him, be be humble, and you have to really you have to really listen to him. That's why I love Matt because and you know um, he like. I, I was so when I when I hung out, I was just so blown away just by his witness and his and his thoughts on on things. Because you could really tell this is the guy who loves God. Now I don't hang out with a lot of Catholic speakers besides our buddies from school, so I'm not trying to say this about anyone else. I was just very impressed with Matt because based on my interaction with with him, out like that was not a part of the podcast. It's like, wow, he's a really good dude. Like, he loves of the Lord. He really, really does. And so there isn't any one thing. There isn't, there's not any topic metric that can really determine that. It's, is God, like, I'm trying to pray right now, is God calling us to, like, should we write, should we do a Catching Foxes book? Like, we've kind of, I've talked about it a bit. I think we might be called to do a thing like that. Doesn't mean that's going to be a huge it doesn't mean it's, that it's going to be big, but it, so you, you kind of have, I, I think you have to ask yourself and God, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And that's how you're going to know. Like if you're really, if you're trying to uh, discern that, 
you're going, if it's pulling you away from God, if it's pulling you away from your own vocation, from your, like, that's not what he wants. That Like, you're going, it, that's why I think the uh, discernment points are so important, because that's how you know what God, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a way to help you know what does Jesus want you uh, to do. There's just, I think I talked about, did I talk about the story about uh, Father Mike Scanlon, how he was so hard to uh, find, because he would always be in the chapel praying. I don't and they... And so anytime he, he would like, he would have a meeting with a, a benefactor and he would be like a half hour like later. So, and people were like, where is he? And he could always be found in, in adoration. And so his, per, like, cause he had a person who helped him out doing all the stuff. And like, this person goes like, why do you do that? And he goes, because I don't have time to do things that Jesus doesn't want me to do. Oh. Oh, you know, and so (laughs) what a terrible thing to say. Oh, man, I'm stuck. Uh, You know, and so that's like, that's why, again, that's why I think the interior life is so important, because that's how how we know. And we uh, discern, like, what is like, we go through those points, we use our own, like, how, like, how, how has God worked in our own life? Like, how do we know of like, honestly, one of the things that in my own life, I get a I get a, a gut feeling, and it's not like I feel this or just there's this thing in me that I go, this is what God's calling me to do, son of a bitch. <laughs> is, because is, is that the, is that the order? This is what God's calling me to do, son of a bitch. I mean, kind of, yeah, like that. I mean, because I didn't, I knew when I was done with Catholic education as early as a couple months in into that 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 time i knew i was pretty sure i remember god feeling like i think god wants me to go in in um in to youth ministry or some some type of ministry after college and i didn't want to do it because i felt like i was just copying every everyone like me and i yeah, I know, mean, like, 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 honestly, because I, I, I didn't go to school for that. That was not part of my plan. I was like, I, but like, I don't. Is that just because it's what all my friends do? Like, I don't want to do that. And I was, it was screaming at me, and I was like, no, I, I can't like make money off of this. I, I need to make like no, 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 no. And I came, and I, it was so obvious that God had to basically have a person call me. Go, here's a job that's tailor made for you. Do you want to do it or not? The day after I finished a St. Joseph, un, a St. Joseph, no, it was St. Joseph or St. Jude. I did. Joseph. Joseph for a job, Jude for a hopeless cause. Yeah, which felt like both at, at, at the yeah, time. Fair um, so that's just how you know, like, like God's going to call you to that. I came into this kicking and screaming. And I'm pretty sure this is what God, like, wants me to do. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like your books should be like with me i'm just saying that in terms of the catching foxes stuff i'm pretty sure we're called to do this because like that's how that's how god has spoken to me throughout my life is that gut little thing where i just go this is what i should do and it has hardly ever been wrong i've i'm i try to ignore it more often than not which isn't a good thing fair enough okay so how do we end this luke I, um, 
I would just say if there's anything that anyone could take away from this, it's that if you're in ministry, whoever the, the most important thing any of us can do is to love God and be in a communion with Christ. Not only can, that can only come about through an interior life and a relationship with him and his church. That's how, that's how you, that's how you get out of hell. That's how you break out of isolation. Did you just quote like a nineties rock song with that? That's how you get out of hell. Is that like mm-hmm. gasoline heart or something? You're being sneaky. Or no, anything? gasoline heart was mid two thousands. Uh, I'm more trying. That's, uh, that's more of a Ratzinger thing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me at the lay evangelist at lay evangelist, Luke at the Luke V. Um, <laughs> Should we tell people we're to come? On Facebook. Yeah. Talk? So if you so on we're gonna be in we're gonna be in Houston, Texas on March eighth for a live podcast. Uh over at Deacon Baldi's. We'll have more information about it soon. But please come and hang out with us. I think it's gonna be pretty cool. It's gonna be amazing. I'm flying to Texas. So all you people that are that have liked catching foxes and you go to St. Mary's in College Station. You need to come to Deacon Baldi's. It's 50 minutes away. Have a beer with us or more uh, and and come hang out. Courtney, I'm talking to you. You guys need to get the whole Courtney. crew. Jenny, you need to be there. We need Jenny. To, we need to make this happen. I think I hung out with Courtney. Was she at, was she at Seed? Yes. Courtney's awesome. Courtney, c- come and hang out with, with us again. It'll be great. Come party with Luke. That's <laughs> Are you a freshman girl in college? You need a party with me. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, sorry. Let's... I'm married now. Those jokes are not funny. Yes, they are. Keep doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have more information about that up soon on our Facebook page uh, once we determine exactly how it's going to go. But it will be really, really fun. Does, I'm very excited about this. Does God want me right now to play Minecraft or work on an income stream for us no for me or for you uh i think god wants you to go to bed whoa very honest with you circle gets the square okay all right i'll go to bed (laughs) so if i could sum up this episode in one statement it would be if someone says roi r-u-n Run like you end. <laughs> Remember the episode where I said that the Come on and shoot. That was great. <laughs> Remember that episode where Gomer was no longer invited to anything at the Archdiocese anymore? <laughs> but that's what it's going to take, though, is just finally sitting there going, no. Like, no. Enough. And people do that. I want to say, lots of people do that. Lots of people get fired for the glory of God because they push back against this Uh, but i feel like they're not clear as to what the alternative is or the alternative isn't as clear as it's not as measurable as what other Mm -hmm. people want ergo Mm vis-a-vis concordantly people then say well you're you're just saying like oh i want to have conversations with teenagers i don't want to do ministry you know what i mean like no yeah oh no no that's that's absurd but you know what I do th- like one thing though I do think that we could be at a point where too many there are people who are in ministry who really are not called to be oh yeah who have not actively discerned that like I I cannot emphasize e- enough like you brought this up like t- ten years ago or 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 so to to a person where you're like well like how do you know like what's what's happening within your life 
is just a thing that you want to go do. And I think we have so many people who I'm just like, you're just go be a business major, go get a normal job. Like you don't have to do this. Like God's going to make it abundantly clear. And if it really isn't like working out, that could be a sign, you know, like against my own better, like my against, I don't know why, but I got a promotion. I have no idea why. <laughs> to me, it's just a sign that the Lord wants me to keep doing this. I disagree. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, oh.